Today we're going to be talking about marriage. We are in our relational series, and the text today comes from Ephesians. It'll be Ephesians chapter 5, verses 21 through 33. Ephesians 5, 21 through 33. As Pastor Steve alluded to in his prayer, we have started this relational series. I'm grateful that as the pandemic is, is winding down and vaccines are rolling out, that life is headed towards some different type of normal, but normal indeed. And it's a great time to be thinking about relationships and how we re-engage in all of the disruptions that we've experienced. So we talked about friendship. We've talked about singleness. This week, we're going to talk about marriage. So Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 21 through 33. Ephesians 5, 21. You can join me in your Bibles. We'll look on the screen. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and his body, of the church, his body, and is, is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church." Because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is God's word. By the way, if you're in person, like if you say something, they'll hear you at home because we have this microphone. So this is God's word. There you go. So hopefully you heard that at home Um, because I didn't realize the mic was going to do that. So I didn't have any jokes prepared, Um, but we'll see as we move along. All right. So in in the text today, there's three points that I want to highlight here. Our, Our topic or rather title for today is marriage in Christ, marriage in Christ. You could flip that around and say Christian marriage, but it's, it's marriage in Christ because there's something unique about what Paul is talking about. Secondly, speaking of that, uh, here are our points. It's uniqueness. Uh, that's the first point. Second point is it's center. Thirdly, it's power. So marriage in Christ, it's uniqueness, it's center, and it's power. As we talk about the uniqueness of marriage, it's first important for us to understand where is Paul coming from? Paul is, Paul is, um, he is a Hebrew. He is a, a Jewish believer. He has a certain worldview. He has a certain understanding that he is bringing into the concept of marriage that is based in the scripture. So it's important for us to understand where is Paul coming from in his understanding of marriage? Because here's the reality. 
marriage has been around since the beginning of time, right? Every culture, there's marriage. It, it happens everywhere. So in one sense, it's like, well, why is it even in the Bible? Because everybody already does that, right? So you might think, well, why is it even needing to be addressed? Well, the fact that this is a teaching in Christianity says something about Christianity itself. It says that no matter what culture you grow up in, and then no matter where you're from, past, present, future times, no matter what language you speak, there's something unique about the concept of marriage from the Christian standpoint that it actually requires understanding. It actually requires teaching in Scripture for us to gain, to, un- to understand, to ascertain. Why is that? Christianity is not merely, like often we may say this sort of in apologetic terms, that Christianity is a, it's a, it's a relationship, it's not a religion, right? Have you ever said that? Maybe you've, you've said that, I've certainly said that. But Christianity is not just, it's not just a relationship. It's not just a relationship with Jesus. It's not just our personal salvation. It's not just our quiet times and our personal devotions. Christianity is a story. It's a story about redemption. And the scripture is God's big story where God is renewing and redeeming all things. That story of redemption really is, it falls in four categories. Creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. These four movements in Scripture, creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. First, let's think about creation. Because if we're going to understand what Paul is saying about marriage, we have to understand he is coming from a framework. He is understanding and speaking out of this movement of creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Genesis 1.27, it won't be on the screen, but it says, Genesis 1.27, when, when you think about, actually before I tell you what it says, you think about the, the account of Genesis. It's this huge, fast flyover of God creating all things, all matter, all things coming into existence, and then it slams on the brakes in verse 27, and it zooms in on humanity. And it's contrary to everything else that has been created, all of which are good, something specifically unique and glorious is true about humanity. Genesis 1:27 says, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. This is so unique, not only from a theological standpoint, but even the text itself, it's this poetic insertion in the midst of this prose narrative, this triplet, is demonstrating the very foundation of all human understanding, all of Christian, Judeo-Christian understanding of what it means to be a human. It all is founded on this one text. It all goes back to this one text. Of course, there's more that there is a part of that foundation, but it's the foundation or the basis for a Christian understanding of anthropology. What is human? What, is it to be, what does it mean to be a human? And every other issue around humanity, what are ethics? What is justice? Why should we value human life? And even what is marriage? And many other questions. We have to be able to evaluate our human interaction based on a higher law that is found in Scripture. Multiple biblical authors, as they write in various points, they point back to this particular text when they are making some ethical claims. So here's one example. Genesis 9, 6. 
when Moses is writing, he says he's making the impetus, he gives an impetus for why we should value human life. If someone murders someone, why is that so bad? And why should there be consequences? He says it's because that, or rather, actually it's God saying, it's because God created man in his image. And therefore, life is valuable. We ought to value human life. If murder occurs, there ought to be a consequence. Psalm 8, David is harking back to the glories of creation, and then he gets to, after he's praising God for his amazing creation, he gets to humanity, and he says, what is man that you are mindful of him, that you've made him head over all things? And he is referring back to Genesis, not only 127, but the things that follow that. James 3, 9, the, the, the Lord's brother, he talks about, well, why should we not curse a person, a human being? Why should we not defame someone verbally with our tongue? He says, because they're created in God's image. And even our Lord Jesus, when the Pharisees are challenging him on the concept of marriage and its parameters about divorce, Jesus himself, our Lord, points back to this scripture, and he says, God made man, uh, he made humanity male and female. In creation, marriage is the fullness of this idea of the image of God being on display. Like last week we talked about, for example, so not in contrast, but to further flesh out. Last week we said singleness, marriage, really the same in the sense that neither is going to save you from the other. And marriage doesn't make you more complete than singleness. Yet at the same time, There is a fullness of the image of Christ, the image of God, in a marriage because man and woman being created in the image of God, they are imaging God in their union. What the fall does to marriage is it destroys every aspect of it. And you see this this sort of chaos around marriage throughout all the Old Testament, all the way up into the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, where Malachi is saying, listen, the reason why God is not accepting your sacrifices is because of your rampant divorce. We see the fall is totally destructive. And then when Jesus comes and he is here on earth and he is inaugurating his, his, his kingdom, he's redeeming all things. He's redeeming marriage and he preaches on marriage. Uh, we have that in, um, encapsulated in, in Matthew 19 and in the Gospel of Mark. And so when Paul is talking about marriage here, all of that is in view. All of that is in play. So our first point, the uniqueness of marriage. The uniqueness of marriage from a Christian perspective. When Becca and I were married, you know, 15 years ago, we were in for a whirlwind. We had no idea what we were getting. Well, we, we did, but, you know, but the, but the rude awakening it came because somehow we had this idea that we were the same, like that we were very similar, like we had a lot of the same strengths. She could cook, I could cook. So then, well, who could cook better, right? You know, she could draw, I could draw. She could play piano, I could play piano. She could sing, I could sing, but you know, let's move along here. And so then, but we began to realize, actually, we don't see the world the same. We see it very differently. In fact, the quite the opposite of one another. And it wasn't until several years later, after having a personality test done, we realized, wow, we are exactly the opposite. Like, not even the same at all. How did we think this? We were deceived. 
And what a great value it has been to uh, be able to see the world from her perspective and gain the value of uh, understanding where my blind spots are and where she sees things that I don't and vice versa. In Christ, well, my point in saying this, what are we contending for, though? What are we contending for in overcoming those differences? What are we contending for in, the, in, the, in the, what sometimes can be a battlefield and other times can be just an exploration and just a quest for, or even survival? What are we contending for in marriage? We're contending for this unique purpose as Christians. Everything Paul says, all of his imperatives in this text, they point to Jesus. The unique purpose of marriage is to image Jesus Christ and his relationship with his bride, the perfect union that Jesus has with us, that all that he has, we have. All that we were, he became so that we could have all that he has. And that, that view of redemption is played out in Christian marriage, marriage in Christ. Verse 22 when, when Paul talks about wives submitting to husbands, he says, ask to the Lord. Verse 23, he says, as Christ is the head of the church. Verse 24, as the church submits to Christ. Verse 25, as Christ loved the church and continues to talk about Jesus loving the church. In verse 29, just as Christ does the church. In verse 32, it refers to Christ and the church. This whole picture of marriage you can't understand if we don't understand who Jesus is and what he did for his church, for his bride. Looking at it as a whole, Paul's using the relationship of a husband and a wife to image the relationship of Christ and his church, so much so that they're interchangeable. You can't understand one if you don't understand the other. They both reflect one another. There's an analogous relationship between Christ and the church and husband and wife. And in the story of redemption, God is not only redeeming the two individuals who are in a marriage, he's redeeming marriage itself. For our, for believers, marriage is an outflow of our union with Christ. It goes beyond what the state recognizes or their legal ramifications. It goes beyond the natural, cultural aspects of marriage it points to Jesus and his relationship with his bride. It's unique. Second point, the center of marriage. The center. What is unique or what is significant about the center of marriage, a marriage that is in Christ, a Christian marriage? Very clearly, Paul is saying, he's implying, he doesn't use the words, but what he's implying is that the cross is at the center of a marriage. The cross the cross, both Jesus' cross that he bore for us, and certainly his resurrection, but also the cross that all of us are called to carry, the cross that husbands and wives in particular are called to carry. Our culture views marriage as this me-focused institution, right? So if I'm going to get married, I want to marry somebody who's you know, well-adjusted, you know, maybe they make them a lot of money, so I'm going to be taken care of, or, or you know, or they are, um, they have a lot of ambition, so that we have this parallel track going on. Um, you know, somebody that's low maintenance, so it doesn't create too much demand on me, but there's going to support my ambitions, right? Um, 
You know, so it's, it's all about me. I mean, it, it, it's like it's about romance, but really it's all about me. It's me focused, it's me focused as a culture. And, and, and in fact, that's actually, you see that in Scripture from the fall onward. Marriage is very much me focused, and there's all kinds of crazy stuff that happens as a result. But Paul is saying at the center of a Christian marriage is not me. It's not two me's coming together. The center of a Christian marriage is the cross, uh oh. Because the cross is the very point of suffering and death and pain. But that's the center of the marriage. In order to image Jesus Christ and his relationship with the bride, the cross has to be, has to be central. Jesus himself. This, the cross is central in our worship, it is central in our walk with God, it is central in Christian marriage. What do I mean? Verse 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Okay. What does he say next? For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to, uh, in everything to their husbands. The church submits to Christ. Well, Jesus is perfect. He's our savior. I mean, of course, we want to submit to him. But wives submit to your husbands. Your husband, that's where the analogy, there's a difference. Your husband, the husband is not perfect. He is a sinner. He is fallible. So therefore, what is implied is there is a cross to bear. His logic is not wives submit to your husbands. He's not speaking pejoratively of women. Actually, quite the contrary. What he does is he's elevating in this culture uh, women, and when you look at the whole fullness of what he's saying, putting that aside, though, Paul is not arguing that women are subjugated to men. He's not saying that they're lesser than. He's not saying that men are superior. That's not his logic at all. That's not even what he's. That's not what he's saying. He's saying there is something unique about marriage where there is a headship, but in that headship, it is not an end to itself. There is it's a pointing. It's an upward pointing relationship pointing up to Jesus and his relationship with the church. But Paul is clearly calling women to carry a cross in marriage. It's interesting to note, by the way, the reason why we started our text in verse 21, which is sort of an interrupted sentence, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ, because when you look at the Greek, there's no verb in verse 22. We see it in English, wives submit to your own husbands. The verb is actually in verse 21. Well, it's actually a participle, but more about that later, uh, with that, with the, the importance of what that means. But my point there is, there is an overall, in the church world, we submit to one another. It's not just a one-way street, and it's not something that just happens in marriage. As the lead pastor, I have to submit. Well, first of all, I submit to my wife in a lot of different things, a lot of different decisions. She says, let's paint the walls this color. I don't say, well, no. I, I, you know, I'm like, okay, great. You did the research. What do I need to do? I'll get the ladder. Go for it. You know, it's like, I'll go play with the kids. And she, knock, knock yourself out. She's done a great job, by the way. As a pastor, I submit, to, I submit to my staff. I submit to conversations, decisions, and whatnot. We submit to one another. Submission is not something that is servile. It's a part of who we are as Christians. And in fact, when you look at the Trinity... There is a mutual submission that is happening between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. 
there is a mutual humility and deference that the, the Trinity shows to one another. So again, this is imaging God in the submission. But it is a cross to bear nonetheless. Verses 25, we look at husbands and following. There are two analogies for husbands in living, loving their wife, which is a cross-bearing love, sacrificially and loving as their own body. Paul says, husband loves your wives, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her in verse 25. In verse 28, he says, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Two analogies for love. One, as Christ gave himself up. What does that mean? As Jesus died on the cross, as he offered his own body for us, husbands, that's how you need to love your wife. It is a humbling thing for me to get up and talk about marriage, recognizing this is the call for husbands. That is a high calling to daily die to yourself for your bride. That's Christian marriage. Why? Because Jesus died for his bride. And secondly, because Jesus loves, actually, what Paul is saying is because as a man, you love your own body. Right? If you love your body and you take care of your body, you need to take care of your wife. And in fact, if you love your wife, you are loving yourself. There's such an intricateness in the union between husband and wife, in which Paul even lays out in a couple of verses after that, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and you know, the two become one flesh. That flesh, one flesh union is so intricate that to love your wife is like loving yourself. That's, that's amazing. That's powerful. But it's also a cross to bear. So at the center of the marriage is the cross both for husbands and for wives, to die to ourselves, to die to our desires. I, I, so many times, as Becca and I, we've met with couples, and Becca would encourage you know, wives. It's like, well, listen, there's going to be some times your husband's going to say stuff or want to do something, and you're like, I'm not sure. It, it, it's going to require trust. You have to trust the Lord. In that, and certainly as a husband, there's times when you have to die to yourself, and it's like, well, I could have advanced in my career if I didn't make these decisions or whatever. It, it's going to require you to trust God. That's the that is a Christian marriage. Now let's talk about the power, because here's the reality: it's I mean, what an amazing proposition that husband and wife not only are image bearers of God, but also bear the image of the, the redemption itself, Jesus' relationship with the bride. What a powerful purpose and a powerful message to say that the cross is at the center, and every day we're to carry our cross, husbands and wives. How do you do that? Can you do that? How is that done? What does that look like? Because this is the reality you can't do that. You cannot. You cannot do that. You, have, you do not have the power to do that in your own self. You have no capacity. It's, this, Paul's not preaching about willpower. He's not a self-help guru saying, you know, here are the five steps, and if you just follow these steps. No, there's no power available except by the Holy Spirit. Because if we back out and we look above the text that we read today and we go back to verse 18 which I believe is on the screen. 
that uh, the actual verb that I was talking about, I'm not, I'm not just being a, you know, a, a grammar geek, but what is happening here is verse 18, Paul is saying, and do not get drunk with wine, that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. That is the driver of this whole text. Be filled with the Spirit. And if you looked further, if you looked at the subsequent verses, 19 through 21, there's three sort of participles, three ways that you're going to demonstrate the filling of the Holy Spirit. There is the addressing one another with songs. There is the giving of thanks to God in everything. And there is the submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Addressing, giving thanks, submitting. That is a demonstration of what it means to be filled. And so for, and then, you know, sub-point under submitting to one another, wives, submit to your own husbands. Husbands, love your wives as your own bodies. The power source of a Christian marriage is the Holy Spirit himself, nothing short of it. It is impossible otherwise. This all sounds great, you know, when you are sort of smooth sailing, but when, it, when there's choppy waters in life, you need the power of the Holy Spirit to continue as a wife or a husband to bear the cross, to continue to contend for the image of Jesus and his relationship with the church. I think about for my wife and I as living 16 years, um, well, we were both in New York City for 16 years, but we were married for um, 2006. And trying not only to be married, but then to, we have four kids in the city and raising a family in New York City and all of the pressures, we didn't have any uh, immediate family or any family who lived close by of doing that and walking through a very treacherous situation at times in my job, having some real stress, real pressure, real, some toxicity even at times. And at times for my wife, her admonition is, hey, I, can you do this? Can you do that? And, and, and I would pray about it and say, you know, sweetie, here's what I think we need to do. And she had to, she had to come along with that. But then there were come other times when I realized, you know what, there's some things that are happening in our situation that is really bearing negatively on her. I need to be willing to give up whatever it takes for her, die to myself for her, even if it's a setback for me in my career, I will do that because that's my wife. But to actually go through life and making those decisions, it takes the Holy Spirit. There is no other way. So let me ask you as couples here today, do you regularly invite the Holy Spirit into your marriage as a wife? As you're going through life and you see your husband, he's going through whatever he's going through in, you know, in his work or just in his own personal life, are you inviting the Holy Spirit in to help you? By the way, disclaimer, obviously, if there is a situation where there is some type of abuse going on, that's a whole different conversation, and you need to get help in that type of situation. But for everything else... We need to be inviting the Holy Spirit, and certainly in that situation too, but that's a different one. But I, 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 I encourage you, are you asking the Holy Spirit for help? Husbands, to, are you dying daily for your wife? Are you asking the Holy Spirit to give you the grace, to give you the strength to not just 
push hard in your career, but to actually take the temperature of what's going on at home? Do you love your wife like your own body? And do you die daily to cherish her and to care for her, whatever that means? As a couple, are you having honest conversations? Do you check in with each other? Do you ask as a wife, or do you acknowledge, or do you even, you know, sometimes admit, hey, I need you to love me here. There's, there's something that's going on, and you just pull them, pull them aside and sit, and sit down and say, listen, I, I'm not feeling love in this area. Or conversely, as a husband, are there ever moments where you're able to lovingly, patiently say, I need you to respect me in this way? It's interesting. Um, you know, there's a great book, uh, Love and Respect. Uh, Egric Emerson is his, is his name. And he even teases this out, and he says that really we're called to this unconditional love and unconditional respect, unconditional love for husbands towards wives, unconditional respects for, respect for wives towards husbands. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you pull aside and have those conversations where you can be real, where you can have that vulnerability that we spoke about a couple of weeks ago? Another a great book, uh, Sacred Marriage by Gary Thomas, talks about... Uh, what if marriage is really about our sanctification or rather our holiness rather than our happiness? I think there's something to that. I think he's, it's a great book. There's a lot of great books, of course. But what are we contending for? Think about it. In the church, God, is, God wants to raise up marriages that reflect Jesus, and that becomes a blessing to the whole community. To see a marriage where men and women are dying daily and dying to one another to love each other is a it's a remarkable image in the church to see that obscured by self-centeredness is like clouds covering the night sky and we're unable to see the image of the sun reflected off the moon marriage in christ is unique in its purpose and pointing to jesus's relationship with the church it's unique in its center being on the cross and not on ourselves, the cross of Jesus and the cross that we bear. And its power comes not from inside of ourselves, but it comes through the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness as we think about marriage. And even as we think about the goodness, Lord, there's always pain involved in a conversation because there's various losses, losses as it relates to singleness, losses as it relates to divorce and other situations, um, widows. But nevertheless, I pray that you would bring healing where there is loss, that you would bring fullness where there is emptiness, that you would bring courage in marriages where there needs to be courage to have honest conversations, that you would reshift the focus of marriages where it is about something else other than Jesus, and that you would bring hope into our community in all of our relationships. And it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.